What is up, people? Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a really fun show lined up for you guys today. A big quarterback change in New York City, and I'm not talking about uh, folk and fails over with the Jets. I'm talking about the other New York football team, the Giants. Uh, looking towards the future with Daniel Jones making his first start this week. Eli goes to the bench. We'll talk more about that. Also, some big college football games coming up this weekend. I feel like uh, this, this weekend, I think, has some of the, the top matchups we've seen so far. I think in terms of one weekend, I would say. So we're going to zero in on a couple, of some, a couple of those games. Also, some NBA news happening. And, uh, of course, the return of our Who's Flame, Who's Trash segment. We've missed a couple of weeks with it, but it makes this triumphant return this week. Uh, so it should be a good show. Joining us, uh, joining me, I'm sorry, is my co-host Kendall Stewart, as always. Kendall, what's up? Uh, how you feeling this? How you feeling this uh, this evening? I'm feeling good. Um, was a uh, <laughs> was an interesting week in football. Last week, a lot of uh, a lot of blow ups, a lot of meltdowns, a lot of uh, injuries. It's been it's been a wild season. Uh, you know, we've had guys break out like Lamar Jackson. You know, who looks like a potential MVP candidate. So, a lot of, a lot of interesting storylines. But uh, we'll get to some of them this week uh, on our show. Yeah, yeah, a guy like Lamar Jackson, as you said, really ascending to uh, to to star, borderline superstar status in these first two games. And you have a player like Cam Newton, who people are writing his obituary. So yes. uh, it's just the changing of the times uh, in the NFL right now. But shout that, out Ryan Clark. Ooh, shout out Ryan Clark, man. Talk about a guy who talk about a guy who wanted all the smoke. <laughs> Ryan yeah. Clark wanted all the smoke with Paul Feinbaum on ESPN. If you haven't seen the video, go check it out. Uh, ESPN free plug to ESPN there. Um, uh, the Get Up show. There's a, quite a confrontation between. I don't even know if you call it a confrontation. It was one sided, but uh, but it's Clark and Feinbaum talking about uh, Cam Newton and his the point we're at in his career. Very entertaining. Go check that one out. But we're going to start today's show talking about Daniel Jones. The Duke rookie will be making his first uh, regular season start for the New York football Giants this Sunday when they head to Tampa to face the Buccaneers. This, of course, is the end of an era for the New York Giants because Eli Manning, uh, outside of that you know, Ill- the ill-advised uh, quarterback change we had with uh, the clown we had coaching him before, um, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, McAdoo, um, Eli Manning was, you know, benched for Geno Smith at that point, and the fans went insane. This is a lot different. This is um, the team looking towards the future. Fans excited to see what the future holds, you know, understanding that Eli at 38 years old is just not going to get it done with this team. I mean, they looked just horrendous in these first two games. So, Daniel Jones is the guy in the center. He's uh, the future of this franchise. Kendall, I toss it to you first. Uh, what do you expect to see from Jones this week? And was it the right move for the Giants to move on from Eli after what they've seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I think we all deep down expected this move to happen at some point during the season. Um, given the Giants weren't really projected to be a playoff team by anybody. Um, yeah, no, and, no standards. Nobody thought they were a playoff team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and Eli Manning, somebody that we knew was seemingly on the decline, and they just drafted a quarterback in the top 10. No matter how you feel about Daniel Jones, clearly the Giants were high on him on some to some degree. So, 
we all expected at some point he would probably get the call. I what I will say is even my most um aggressive projections would have had him starting <laughs> week three. Uh, I mean I anytime I put an over under on this on the when will Daniel Jones get the start, get his first start, it was always uh, six, week seven, week eight. Uh, week three, I mean, I don't think it's the wrong decision necessarily. Um, it's surprising. You, honestly, you want to know what I think mm-hmm. pushed this pushed this timeline further than we all expected when he got drafted and the training camp and stuff. Is I think Daniel Jones' performance in the preseason for sure has has made it way to where I think the Giants and Shermer has to ask to he has to ask himself. Does Daniel Jones give us the best chance to win? Because over the preseason, I mean, Manning didn't get a. I don't know if he got any snaps. If he did, it was very few. But over the preseason, Daniel Jones looks like a legitimate NFL quarterback. Yeah, Jones is playing uh, with the ones. Yeah, he's playing with the ones, and I mean, by you know, statistically, he was arguably the best quarterback in all in all the preseason. Mm-hmm. So, I like. I don't think that this is a decision about. Yeah, we're tanking, so let's just put in the young guy. And because why would you do that in week three? Because it, like, it doesn't serve a purpose to not start in week one and start in week three if this is about the season's over. The season's not over. You know, so they, in reality, Pat Shermer is not throwing away the season by going to Daniel Jones at this point. No. Like the Dolphins may be throwing away the season by saying, yeah, you know, we're going to Josh Rosen because Fitzpatrick. But also Fitzpatrick's led them to two complete blowouts. Yeah, so Patrick, that Patrick, also has played, be, Patrick has played so miserably. That also has yeah. to do with the two. Exactly. So, like, when you like when you make this change going into week three, I don't think this is about we're blowing up the season. I think this is about we want a new quarterback. And I think Daniel Jones, they feel like gives them the best, give themselves the, the best chance to win. They may not be wrong. Um, I, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how he performs now that the lights are actually on. Um, but I, at this point, you know, you also have to wonder how does Eli feel? I mean, I can't imagine he's even that upset, you know, obviously all these guys have an ego, but you know, this was always going to come. He may end up finding himself in another spot that makes more sense for him. Who knows? But I think this is a move that's good for almost all parties. Yeah. I think that, you know, on the, on, from a distance, you look at, what happened, and I, I I hear what you're saying when you say it seems kind of surprising when you make the projections of when you're going to see Daniel Jones. I agree. I don't think many people would have guessed week three. But when you look at the schedule, it makes a lot more sense. Because you had this first game against Tampa Bay. They're terrible. So a lot of their defense did play very well against Carolina last week. I don't think people expect their defense to be a, 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 you know, a force this season. And I think that a lot of people looked at how – Cam and that Panthers offense played as being more of a concern rather than the Buccaneers as being, you know, the the Warren Sapp, Booger McFarlane era, Derrick Brooks era, Derrick Brooks era, you know, Buccaneers. Those guys ain't walking through that door. Exactly. Those guys are not walking through that door. So um, you got uh, the Buccaneers on the road, and then you got the the Redskins at home. And we saw the Redskins – uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, we saw him last week against Dallas, couldn't stop a nosebleed. And so I'm in the second half against Philly, couldn't stop a nosebleed. Albeit, those teams are five times, ten times better than the Giants. But if you're looking for favorable matchups, those matchups 
you know, give Daniel Jones a chance to have some success. You also, what you don't want to happen is, at these wretched performances that Eli and the Giants have put together in these first two games, for the Manning to go out there and give them a false sense of hope and play well in these two games against bad teams, and now they're 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 now going into Minnesota and New England with 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 Eli still in the fold. You want to start to get Daniel Jones, uh, you know, confident reps. You don't want to prolong the inevitable. The inevitable is that Eli eventually is going to be benched, which is what happened. By allowing him to maybe play well in these la- these next two games, I think that would have uh, been a been f- uh, fool's gold. Because I think with the way you're you're seeing them play, I do give uh, Brian uh, Baldinger a shout out to him. Great credit for breaking down the film, and he did show a lot of illustrations where look, the Giants are a terrible team. The guys are dropping passes. These guys can't protect for for any for their lives if they depended on it. They have a lot of issues beyond just Eli Manning. That's not his fault, and that Daniel Jones is going to have to face. But as anybody who's played football or watched football can attest, sometimes when the quarterback change happens, regardless of how bad the other guys are playing, those other guys, those other guys, they just get a lift. They get an emotional lift. They get a, um, they get a, a, a boost, and they start to play a little better. There's a little bit of a swagger in their step because they feel like the team is making changes to try to get the ship right. And I think that that's all the reasons why this happened. That's why it, I. I think that this all makes a lot of sense um i expect daniel jones to come in he is playing on the road so uh you know he won't have the home advantage but i think the buccaneers and redskins are are two very uh favorable matches for him to potentially play pretty decent a good enough to where we won't have to worry about the idea of maybe going back to eli manning i think that he'll it'll be his job to keep the biggest question we've been having in regards to eli besides uh where he ends up um is whether or not, with the way with this potentially being the end of his career, is he a Hall of Famer? I toss that question to you, Kendall, because I feel like of the current athletes, and I'm talking basketball, baseball, and football, I think the Eli Manning Hall of Fame case is the most compelling. So I would ask that, like that, you, do you feel like Eli Manning deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, I think the Hall of Fame is, I think it's very much, like, the thing with the Hall of Fame in all sports is that I think sometimes, like, we get too much into the too much into the, 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 the sheer numbers when I feel like the Hall of Fame, a lot of it is, is it's kind of arbitrary, it's kind of subjective, and, um, you know, it, it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mystique that comes with being a Hall of Famer that I think sometimes can't be encompassed by the numbers. Um, like, I feel like, like, for example, like basketballreference.com and probably just all the, the pro reference, uh, pro sports reference uh, websites have like Hall of Fame predictors where yeah. they just look at a guy's numbers and they say, should this guy be in the Hall of Fame or do they reach that bar? And there are some guys, most of the guys that are, you know, that are high on the list are in. There are a couple guys that are high that aren't that you say you say to yourselves that you say to yourself, this guy should be in, clearly, statistically. And then there's some guys that are in that statistically are at the bottom that really shouldn't be in, probably. You know? Bill Walton's probably really low on the list, but he's in the Hall of Fame. And there are some people that argue he shouldn't be in. I I, mean, I wouldn't make that case. But point being, like I think Eli Manning would be one of those cases where I would put him in, 
but I would also do that knowing that look statistically he would be that Bill Walton type guy that yes the the the, the win loss record doesn't always check out you know <laughs> the numbers don't check out the the ineptitude has certainly been there the last five years but I that also for me just can't erase the the two Super Bowl wins over Tom Brady and Bill Belichick um, and not just the two Super Bowl wins but also the playoff runs that they that they had because mm-hmm. if you get to a Super Bowl it's not it's not one and done and I mean, both times they came from the wild card yeah you know like as for me like and I understand it was almost every other year they kind of were were meh but and are we giving him credit for his name being Manning probably. But again, the Hall of Fame is so subjective. You know, there are going to be things that help you out. Um, so I, I would put him in. I certainly wouldn't. You know, fight if he if he didn't get in the Hall of Fame. But I, I just think, you know, I think he's somebody that like certainly has he has two Super Bowl rings. He's one of two quarterbacks to have beaten Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So, I don't know. I I would give it to, him, but yeah, it's, I also don't have a vote. So <laughs> I mean, it's it. I look. I have been in the camp for a lot of years. Most of my years following co- football, really, since Eli's second Super Bowl, where I made the case that yes, I think Eli Manning deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you made the you illustrated those points uh, quite profoundly. The playoff runs, the Super Bowl wins, the nature and how they won those games, the clutch play, the uh, the 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 reliability. Talking about you know a guy who not getting hurt, not missing games. There's a lot. I agree that goes beyond the stat sheet per se that should be in consideration for Eli. But as I sit here today, I can't help but feel like these last four or five years. I'm looking at his record. Since 2013, seven and nine, six and ten, six and ten, eleven and five. When you no, know, they had the they had the uh, solacism that infamous uh, yacht photo uh, on the when they lost to Green Bay. Um, then last year three and twelve. Then then three and twelve. Then last year five and eleven. This year starting zero and two. I don't I don't want to say that his career should be judged by the end, but I I just Eli Manning to me has not played like a Hall of Fame quarterback. In a long time, I couldn't tell you when the last time he he played that way, but I just feel like he's so far removed from a guy that I would consider to be a dominant player, a guy who could be a superstar player, and the time in which he played at that at level were so few and far between. They were so short, while they were spectacular and they were some of the greatest moments we've had in NFL history. And I don't think that's hyperbole to say. I mean, the David Tyree catch beating a sixteen. Uh, a 16 and 0, 18 and 0 team, uh, um, and I think even the second Super Bowl uh, run and and the the last drive and some of those throws he was making, um, the throw to Manningham on the left side. I mean, it's just spectacular, unbelievable stuff. Stuff we will never forget. But I do feel like the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Oh, I think I think baseball probably is also baseball is probably a little harder. But I think the Pro Football Hall of Fame does have a great standard for who gets in and who doesn't. And I just, Eli, to me, just hasn't been a good enough quarterback. I mean, even the years when Eli was winning those Super Bowls, I 
couldn't tell you for sure during those years. I thought he was a top 10 quarterback at those points in his career. I, I just feel like there's so many other quarterbacks that have come and gone that have played better than him. Obviously, they don't have Super Bowl rings. But some of that does come from circumstance. He did have the luxury of playing with defenses that got extremely hot and played extremely well in those games. Uh, that's not to say that they could have won without him. Because there are some people who say that, and I disagree. Eli showed incredible clutchness and incredible poise under immense yeah, pressure like, and immense I think, and in massive situations. You can't just drop any guy in there and think you're going to win. I've always said I think Eli's a kind of a football savant. I think that he he kind of doesn't look the part. He kind of can play some uneven football, but you put him in some big situation and he can play brilliantly. Uh, at the same time. There were too many of those other situations that were outside of that limelight of the Super Bowl and the big Super Bowl runs where he just played so poorly for such long periods of time. That's not a guy I can put in the Hall of Fame as of today. Maybe I'll change my mind in a year or two. Maybe this the stench of these last three or four seasons will will leave. But right now, I got to say no. And my thing is, like, I feel if you look at, the standard that's been set right now for quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame—I wouldn't say the standard, but the the bar that has been set. It, 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 I mean, like, has he had a worse career than Kurt Warner? I mean, Def- Kurt Warner definitely. has definitely. He has a Super Bowl and yeah, Eli Manning. MVP. Was, Eli Manning was not a good quarterback as Kurt Warner ever. Not in his prime, I'd agree. Kurt Warner, you know. Had a had a had a better peak than Eli Manning, but Kurt Warner with the first time he won a Super Bowl, and the third time when he went to Super Bowl with Arizona, was better than Eli Manning has ever been in his career. I don't know if that's I don't think that's arguable. But Kurt Warner also had a lot of in between there had a lot of nothing. Fair, whereas but Eli were... has been a starter his entire career, right? And really hasn't missed any games. And while yes, he's been up and down, the Giants. Outside of the last couple of years where they've been pathetic, have been fairly competitive. That's even fa- if they haven't made the playoffs. That's They're fair. Not a team that go- that wins five games every year. That's fair in regards to comparing Kurt to Eli. But my 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 rebuttal to that would be, Kurt Warner had multiple years where he was a superstar. I just don't know if I ever would use the word superstar for Eli Manning, other than him being a celebrity because of his name. I'm talking about superstar football player. I'm talking about dominant football player, a player that could win games single-handedly, a player that teams came into their building and were afraid of what they could do to them. Kurt Warner had two different errors. I'll admit, there were a lot of years in between, between injuries and other situations where that he was a... You know, it wasn't half of what Eli was doing, but he had a three or four year stretch in St. Louis and then a three or four year stretch in Arizona where he was a feared football player because he was so talented, because he was a one of the stars at his position, one of the best players at his position. Eli has never brought that kind of fear to other defenses. He's never brought that kind of fear to other fan bases. Nobody was ever afraid of the Giants because of Eli Manning. Now, he proved a lot of people wrong when they underestimated him, which is why I love I got a lot of love for Eli Manning because I, I, I love that aspect about him. I think he's, even though he comes from football royalty, I kind of feel like he's almost like Rocky to me. It's like a guy who everybody kind of makes fun of and everybody thinks is really nothing. He comes out of nowhere, and he has these remarkable performances. But, again, 
outside of those little snapshots, there 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 isn't much there in regards to being an elite football player. Even when he had those moments, he still wasn't an elite football player. So when we compare I mean, him to, the, the to Kurt ball. Warner, I can't I can't say that him and Kurt Warner's careers are comparable because Kurt Warner was an MVP type of guy. Eli was never in that conversation. I mean the the real the real low bar for quarterback. And I know you're gonna hurt you, but it's Joe Namath. Like, but Joe the Namath difference between him and Joe Namath. Is not really. I mean, but that's why not really that great. But that's why when you talk about stats, you got to throw them out because at the same, I'll, I'll use the same comparison. Yes, statistically, Joe Namath's numbers when you look at them today are unimpressive. But you have to take in consideration how different the game was, and when you're ranking the top quarterbacks, but he's also his, a loser. Well, no, but wait, time out though. If you're talking about the top quarterbacks of his era, Joe Namath. Forget about the numbers, because all the all the quarterbacks who played in that era, their numbers aren't impressive. Namath for his era was still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He was a dominant football player, even if the numbers don't impress you. Eli was never one of the best football players. And I'm talking about record, their numbers are, are their, their their records are pretty similar. You know, right, Eli exactly. was Eli was one sixteen and one sixteen. Joe Namath is sixty two and sixty three. But the difference is that Joe Namath was an elite football player at one point in his career. That's never happened for Eli Manning. Now, his numbers from our standards today may not seem elite to people, but he was an elite football player. That's where the difference is. Uh, I mean, look. For, the, for his time. Joe Davis has, has a terrible touchdown and interception ratio. I mean, that's not that's not a question of, the. I mean, the way you play. You know, I mean, I like, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't. I don't know. I was not fortunate enough to have been alive or when Joe Davis was 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 playing, obviously. But, but when the people, the people who who were alive, who documented those the best players of those eras, Joe Namath was one of the best football players of the '60s and early '70s. Well, really, mostly '60s. After the seven, after when the '70s came in, he got he had a lot of injuries. But he was undoubtedly one of the best quarterbacks from 1965 to when the Jets won in 1969. So. If you're talking about the, that I mean, era of football, talking, that's that's an elite. He was an elite quarterback. If we're if we're talking, the, Eli has never been a top. I don't know if he's ever been a top five quarterback in the NFL. He's never been top five. I think there. But Namath has been, been top ten. I, I agree with that. Close to that, especially after he's won those Super Bowls. And I I don't know. I just think being a guy that's like we we had this discussion when he won the second one and when he won the first one or before he won the second one, but. He, what like before he won the second Super Bowl, I would have said no. And if he hadn't won the second Super Bowl, I would have said no. But when you beat Brady twice in the in in the in the in the postseason, part of me wants to write off anything else. Like if Nick Foles comes out next year, or he gets traded to the back to the Eagles, he gets traded someplace and beats Brady again. I'd be like, look, Nick Foles, man. We have to have to we have to have this conversation. But then when you couple the fact that Eli is like top ten in like passing yards and top ten, in, and I don't even like longevity stats because I think that you know Eli has been playing in a lot of games, which is impressive. But you know, but still, like he's top ten in touchdowns, top ten in passing yards. But he's not a scrub. But the Hall of Fame players, there are a lot of people that the- think that the, the the rings that he has, like he's Brad Johnson. Or no, he, and they're wrong about that. Everybody who make that case, they don't know what they're talking about. Me and you are on the same page on that. But at the same time, 
we're still not talking about a guy who ever was one of the elite players at his position. You made the comparison between Joe Namath and Eli Manning. Joe Namath, with all the the warts that you made the case for, he still has made more Pro Bowls than Eli Manning. Eli Manning played in an era where there were five, six, seven replacements for the Pro Bowl. That's not that wasn't happening when Joe Namath was playing. You made the Pro Bowl because you were one of the top players in your position. Eli made that as replacements in some of these years, and he still has Joe Namath still has more than Eli. So I I I, I don't see where the 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 this guy was one of the best superstar players at his position. And that he would deserve that spot. If he got it, I'm not, I like I, I said, I have a soft spot for Eli Manning. I don't have a beef with him. If he got it, I wouldn't I'm not gonna run around and be like this is a complete travesty. I think it's a close call, which is why I, I like having this conversation. And I've made the case that you're making. So I I, I, I get both sides. I, but just looking at the totality of his career, I'm not saying you can you should just take out those two snapshots and those Super Bowls and, and the longevity that he's had. But there's just too much mediocre play in between for me to say so, that this guy should be immortalized amongst the greatest football players of all time. So Eli, so we're saying Eli's. So if you're saying Eli's not a Hall of Famer, who else in this era right now of quarterbacks are Hall of Famers right now? That's very, very happy you brought that up because I, I've seen. I think shout out to Bomani Jones. He had this question not about quarterbacks, but just players in general who are lock Hall like, of Famers are playing obviously today. Brady, Brady, obviously. so Brady. Roth, Payton, Roethlisberger, you know, Roethlisberger to be Roethlisberger. Peyton's not playing anymore, by the way. Well, yeah, he's not active yet, right. but he, yeah. Guys that aren't in right now that are to me, yeah. Roethlisberger, Brady, Rogers, Breeze, and I personally would make the case that Rivers are. Yeah, I can't famous. put Phil Rivers over Eli. Rivers was a much better player than Eli Manning for his entire career. There was never, Rivers, there was never, Kendall, the there was never, time. there was never one year Rivers Phillip Rivers. Tom Brady. Couldn't get past, couldn't. But a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys couldn't beat Tom Brady. I, I can't, that's like the Jordan, that's like the Jordan uh, thing of like, you know, Carl Malone's a bum because he didn't win a championship. Doesn't that make, doesn't that make Eli an immortal figure that he beat the guy twice? Again, if it was one time, I'd be able to fluke. He's a Nick Foles, you know, had a one lucky game or one lucky run. He did the same thing again. Look, it, it's it's remarkable. I that's, agree. that's a remarkable. And, I, and I'm not taking that Tom away. Tom Brady, if the Patriots win a Super Bowl this year, could go down as the, the greatest athlete of all time. I not I'm not taking anything away from what Eli. And Eli got him twice. Two but but I cannot put Eli ahead of Philip Rivers when you know and I know both. There's never been one year in Eli's career that he's been better than Philip Rivers. Not one. So how can I say that he that just because he had these snapshot moments of winning Super Bowl, which are, are enormous and certainly add to his case, how could I say that that therefore makes him a Hall of Famer? It doesn't make any sense to me. Football is a is a team sport. Yes, it yes the quarterback is the most important position, but Philip Rivers played one of those games against Tom Brady with torn ACL. So he couldn't win that game. <laughs> like, like there are circumstances and there's nuance to the situation you have to consider. Yes, there was one situation where they lost at home, a game that they should have won, uh, where they were the best team in the AFC. And, yes, that was a bad look. I, I, Eli Manning, of course, had situations where he was playing as teams that were undefeated or the top teams in the NFL and would beat them in Super Bowl games on neutral sites. But Phil Rivers has just always been better than Eli Manning. So I think that he's a lock. I also think Russell Wilson is a lock. Uh, those to me are the quarterbacks I look at today and say, those guys are Hall of Famers, 
And all those guys are better than Eli Manning. I like, I I like, I don't know what to say, and I I I don't like I don't take like owner I don't take I don't relish in like making that statement. I like Eli Manning a lot, but I I I think I would be fooling myself or being dishonest or disingenuous for me to make the case that any of those guys I named. I think Cam Newton's would, a lock too. Oh no, I don't think he's a lock. I think he's a lock. Once you win MVP, you know, and you can make the injuries excuse. Like he'll, I'm not saying he'll get in first ballot, but like if Cam Newton retired next year due to injury, there's a good chance I think he would eventually get in. I don't feel like I think big enough name. I think when you look at Cam's the totality of Cam's career, there's a he he's had some snapshots. Again, I hate using that word. Probably people listening probably like stop saying that word. <laughs> I've said it like ten times, but. He's had some moments where he's been unstoppable and incredible, but they just are so like erratic. And there's like great year, terrible year, great year, terrible year, great year, terrible year. And now we have about two terrible. One last year was terrible, and we're looking like looking at it looks like we're staring down the barrel of another terrible year in a row. And I I I don't I can't say for sure he's a Hall of Famer. Um, he could he might get there, but it, it looks like he's already on the decline. So if this is if what we seen the best from Cam Newton, then no, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, that's uh, that yeah. <laughs> he's gonna three, be, was, three he's Pro gonna Bowls, be obviously one. an MVP, but only three Pro Bowls, only one All Pro. That's not a Hall of Fame career. He's that's not that's not a Hall of Fame career. He's been a star player. I would definitely say he's been a star in the NFL. He definitely deserves a ring of honor in whatever the hell they have in Carolina that honors their former players. Uh, but I don't, I can't say as a Hall of Fame player based on what I've seen. I'm not saying that he can't get there, but if if the notion is that Cam's done, which it looks bad, but I think is I think we are jumping the shark a little bit with just like uh, you know writing Cam's tombstone. It looks really bad. He looks really beat up. But I would, I would like to see what would happen if he got to like a place like Arizona when Kurt Warner got there. What he would look like, a place that really did protect him and really created an offense that was to his strengths. Could he still produce? I think he might be able to. He just can't carry a team like they're still asking him to do. His team is that team is terrible. They have one other good player on offense. And it's just too much. He doesn't. He's he's physically incapable of doing that. But could if you put the perfect pieces around him and the great protection around him, and he not take so many hits, could he still, uh, you know, deliver the football to playmakers and make plays in space? I wouldn't completely rule that out. Um, let's move on though. Let's talk some uh, college football, Kendall. So we uh, we got I said a big week of games. Two of the games I want to focus on. Uh, involve uh, one of them involved a big ben t- Big Ten matchup. Let's start there. So we got Michigan at number eleven going to Wisconsin, number thirteen. This game is interesting, Kendall, because there are two highly ranked teams that I feel like I know nothing about. Which, of course, the audience is probably like, "Well, then why are you talking about it?" But this is what we do. <laughs> now, unfortunately, we're only given the information that we have from what we've seen, and then we gotta just go what we have. But Michigan, who I said before the season will win the Big Ten. Has looked mighty shaky uh, for the start of the season. That Army game couldn't give any Michigan fan uh, good feelings about where their season is going. 
Um, and Wisconsin, who I think a lot of people were down on, I talked about being down on on this show, has played tremendously, but they've played nobody. So it's the classic, how do you compare one team that's kind of, that's had high expectations, but has not met them based on playing no competition against a team that had low expectations that has greatly exceeded them against no competition. So, so it's a classic, you know, you know, it's a classic kind of conundrum. Kendall, how do you see this game playing out between Michigan and Wisconsin in Madison? Uh, I mean, it's neither two teams that you know I don't feel great about right now. I don't either. Um, you know, I think Michigan. You know, Shea, Shea Patterson has been a heck of a disappointment. Um, it will be interesting to see if we will see, uh, uh, what's his face? If we see, if we'll see, uh, Dylan McCaffrey at one point, um, obviously the brother of Christian McCaffrey back with quarterback at Michigan. Um, but Shea Patterson has been a disappointment this year. Um, and I think he's a guy that if he plays well, then I think that college football playoff prediction that you have for them, uh, or that big 10 championship prediction that you have for them is viable. But it's going to be hard for me to believe they could beat Ohio State with the way Shea Patterson's played. Um, Wisconsin is a very kind of one-dimensional team. You know, they're very, they're very much Jonathan Taylor, John Taylor or, or bus, yeah. or bus. And uh, the way this Michigan team has played D this year, I, I would, le- I would lend it lends me to believe that I think they can contain him. And if they do contain Taylor, I think Michigan can win this game on the road and keep their playoff hopes alive because I think this is kind of an elimination game. You know, Michigan could probably lose this game, and if they beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, they could still make it to the playoffs potentially, but you don't want to run that risk because you've seen one lost Big Ten team in the past not getting. So um, you kind of, I mean, and I think Wisconsin, this is certainly a must-win game, so. Yeah, Wisconsin, uh, while they do have Ohio State, they play in the weaker division of the Big Ten division, so they don't have Penn State uh, in their schedule. So only one other chance to really make a big splash. Michigan will have uh, a game uh, against Penn State, so they, they'll have a chance to, to, to make some noise. And they have Notre Dame. So they have plenty of opportunities to kind of make up for whatever happens this week. Wisconsin will only have one other shot. So I agree, this game is massive. Oh man, I, I I think I'm gonna go with Michigan because I think while I agree Shea Patterson's play has been very uninspiring, I'm basing I'm comparing Patterson versus Jack Cohn, who guys look good against again no competition, but I just don't know what he's gonna look like playing against a <laughs> big Michigan defense. Yeah, Michigan no. defense that despite the you know, the scoreboard in terms of those games not playing, not looking good. I thought the Michigan defense played well in both of those games, even in the Army game. Army's a tricky team to play against. Anybody who runs that triple option can give people problems. And while the offense was just atrocious for Michigan, the defense really kept them in the game. I mean, if that there were situ- there were points in the game where Army, as crazy as it sounds, could have ran away from Michigan. And they didn't because the defense held. While it's a different style of running, the fact that they played a team that was so physical and so much about running it down your throat, I think 
prepares him well for this matchup against Wisconsin. And I think sometimes you just you just need those scares. They played against a team that's well disciplined. You know, no pun intended, considering it's Army, but they are well disciplined. They aren't going to beat themselves, and they're going to play Smash Mouth. That's a very very good test for having to go on the road against Wisconsin. I agree. I think Michigan writes the ship a little bit this week, and they uh they beat Wisconsin. I'm gonna say they beat them not handily, but I think that they they win convincingly. Maybe at least a touchdown or maybe ten points uh, in this one. The other game I wanted to zero in Kendall this week was uh, Georgia and Notre Dame. Now I, I think that you know these the game we had uh, the games we've had between these two teams uh, have been tremendous in this home and home. So it's great to see you know, after seeing Georgia go into South Bend, uh, now Notre Dame do the same going into uh, Sanford Stadium. Uh, how do you see this one uh, shaking out? Uh, yes, this is a uh, this is another interesting game. Um... I I don't love either team. Um, I also don't really feel that like either team has been tested up to this point uh, the way that I think they they, they they should be, but or they can be, um, especially not to the level that they will be this week. Is what I should say. Um, so this is definitely a benchmark game for both teams. See where they're at, um, and. It, <laughs> That's the thing about college football is that, like, in college basketball, you have a non-conference game. And so, oh, yeah, this, we, we schedule this game as a benchmark, see where we're at. If we go into college, if we, once we get into conference play, we can kind of know where we're at, you know, for the NCAA tournament. In college football, you schedule this game as, yeah, it's a benchmark game because you don't know how good your team is. But <laughs> if you lose, you're, it's the end of your season. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, it, it, so, I mean, Way more neither team, yeah, exactly. neither team really knows if they're good yet. But... They're gonna figure out this week, and one of these teams is gonna be screwed. Um, I look. I think Georgia is the more talented team. They're gonna be playing at home. The question is just gonna be how up for this game are they? And I think they should be up. I mean, it's Notre Dame, and you know it'll be on national TV, and um, it's a non-conference opponent. But when you're a team like Georgia that has faced, that's gotten so close to the to the playoff. The last couple of years, and you know, the one team kind of in your way is Alabama. There, there, the, you may have a tendency to just, you know, kind of sleepwalk through the season. And if they sleepwalk throughout, I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame can beat them. So that's what would be my only concern if I was Georgia. But I think Georgia is a much more talented team. Um, I think, like I said, like I said, playing at home, it's going to be an environment that's very, very friendly to Georgia. The fan base should be very excited for this game when you bring in a premier opponent like Notre Dame into the stadium. So um, I got Georgia, but, you know, I do – it does concern me that uh, what what mindset Georgia will, will have coming into this game. Um, I agree that Georgia is the more talented team. I agree uh, Georgia at home – Certainly seems to have the, the 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 obvious the more obvious advantage. Uh, the one thing I do like about Notre Dame though in this game is when you can play defense and you can win at the line of scrimmage, it gives you a chance in these very difficult games. And if there was the one thing to to kind of hold your hat on in terms of where Notre Dame could win, I would say that's the case. If they can get uh, Jones running the football, they could protect Book, and then they could find a way to slow down DeAndre Swift. And um, Zamira White, the freshman, looks really good for Georgia, too. 
So uh, if they could slow down Georgia's running game, and I know you're not crazy about Jake Fromm, if they make Georgia one-dimensional, as we saw Texas did last year in the Sugar Bowl, uh, Georgia looks a lot more vulnerable than they look when they're a two-headed monster, when Fromm's able to get into play action and they're able to kind of keep defenses guessing. Nerding the ability to potentially win at the point of attack is something to keep an eye on. I think Georgia, knowing that they had basically, you know, bye weeks in these first few games, even though one of the games was against a conference opponent in Vanderbilt, it would surprise me if they came out really flat. I expect them to come out. Uh, I expect them to come out ready to play. So I'm gonna say Georgia uh, wins this one. Um, but you can't kind of. Uh, you also can't. You know, kind of ignore the the the, the revenge factor. You know, Notre Dame uh, know what it was like to have Georgia come in there and and beat them. Because then they then they beat them. Was it last year when they beat them in a yeah. Notre Dame Stadium? So, uh, so they know what it feels like to, <laughs> to have Georgia come in their house and beat them. So there there will be a motivation from that standpoint, and will also help Notre Dame is having a veteran leadership at quarterback. If Ian Book. Can 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 not turn the ball over. He can find a way to make big plays. That's going to give them a lot of confidence. So I think this will be a close game. I, I, these two teams, I just I get the feeling that just like when they play there, it's never going to be a blowout. I think these two teams will always kind of uh, battle it out. I think this will be kind of similar to the games they've played uh, in the past. But I think Georgia uh, wins this one. Um, I do want to move on, uh, Kendall, to quickly talk about uh, the NBA's issues with tampering and how they're planning to solve it. So. The league office uh, meetings in terms of the league ownership meetings are happening this week. And a big portion of uh, the conversations happening center around trying to stop tampering. There's been a lot of skepticism amongst owners and league officials about if they're actually capable of doing that. But after what's happened in recent years, um, there is an appetite from some owners and some league officials to find a way to keep this from happening. Uh, this kind of this year, we saw all these players essentially signing with their teams like a weeks before the free agency period even started it was probably one of the most uh blatant obvious uh tampering situations we've had in the nba in terms of free agency since uh we've had free agency do you feel like uh one that there are tampering rules that they could put into place that would make a difference and the second question which maybe leans to where i'm going is do you think the nba should take concern or really concern itself rather about this tampering situation period um in terms of penalties i mean look you can always apply penalties to something to deter people um i do think on some level there are certain things that you can't deter people from you know like we see it in college sports i mean you can that you can threaten the death penalty as much as you want people are still going to pay players and find ways to get around the system. Um, so in that regard, like there's not that much you can do. Um, you know, they're talking about ten million dollar fines. The question is, is, what's the ten million dollar fine for? Are they going to find? Are they going to find teams ten million dollars for a coach publicly making a statement about a player, or a, a, an executive or a team official making a statement about a player who's going to be a free agent publicly? Like if Doc Rivers, when Doc Rivers say Kawhi is the closest thing he's ever seen to Jordan, is that going to be a 
fineable offense of te- up to $10 million. Like, that seemed egregious. And that's where I don't believe that that's what they would do. It'll probably be that if they find any, like, backdoor dealings that have been happening. But th- when has that ever when has that ever came out? They, I'm so glad you bring that up, Kevin, because I think you illustrated it perfectly. Like, the, fi- the fines and the tampering violations that the NBA has announced to us have been these very innocuous things that you would think really have nothing to do or no impact on whether a player would ever sign with the team. The Paul George comments, Magic Johnson, you know, winking about, well, that was maybe a little more <laughs> more egregious, right. but but there was Magic some other... talking about Greek freak. Yeah, Magic talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, like little things, like where it's just like, those, that's not the tampering that the league is talking about wanting to stop. So like, if you if they if they've displayed so far that they have, they have an inability to stop that, this all seems like window dressing. Like like Kemba Walker agreeing to a deal with the Celtics a week before a free agency was obvious tampering. Yeah, and there was no but, penalty for that. But they, yeah, but how do you enforce that? Yeah, and you like know? and and they, uh, they're telling us that they are unable to, or whatever the situation happened was with AD and the Lakers. I mean that was obvious tampering. <laughs> Go on. Well, Le- some level, yeah. Le- LeBron's agent is running the situation. He's burning ter- New Orleans to the ground to get AD to the Lakers. I mean, come on. It one plus one is two, but right. at the same time, how do you legislate that? You can't. How do you legislate Kawhi on his own accord recruiting guys on other teams to get them to leave their teams to go to Kawhi's new team? Like, if if those instances of clear tampering go completely unpenalized and unaddressed, then just raising the fines or the stuff that we see on ESPN when Matt Johnson makes a statement or Doc Rivers makes a statement, I don't know how that affects anything. Because the actual tampering that's actually gaining... Like, those tampering examples that I just illustrated, those netted results... Kawhi tampering with Paul George allegedly netted results. Rich Paul and LeBron doing whatever they did to get AD to the Lakers netted results. The Nets doing whatever they did to get Kyrie and Kyrie and, and Kevin Durant netted results. None of those things we're talking about had any penalties. So if you're telling me you have no way of stopping that, then what are they talking about here? Yeah. I don't I don't know. To me this is all nonsense. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of it, like, there are better systems I think they can come up with, I think, but then they would require, like, surveillance and stuff, and stuff that I don't know if the players are gonna, you know, agree to, like, in terms of punishments, again, I don't think punishments do anything because they haven't been able to get people. That's been the bigger problem, is getting people and proving guilt <laughs> proving who the guilty parties are. Um, there are obvious people. I, I think the NBA should be stricter about investigating these situations. Like, is there anything bizarre? Like in college basketball. Like, yes. Like a college basketball recruit, if the NCAA, um, as we can say what we want about the NCAA, but if there's a, a recruit, the five-star, who went to five high schools and is from... New York, and he goes to like Boise State, or he's from Boise, and he goes to Kentucky, or he goes to Florida. They're gonna investigate the kid, like they're not, for better or for worse. They could be 
everything can be above board on face value. But if you go to five high schools and you go to a school cross country that you never visited, they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> ask questions. So because it looks weird, if Kyrie Irving or if Kemba Walker signs with the Celtics, like the day he took a meeting with them, the you know the first minute of free agency, the NBA should investigate. It. Yeah, be like, all right, how do, how did this how did these conversations happen? You know, how did you know this that the Celtics were gonna offer you this amount of money? How did the Celtics, how did you guys know that Kemba Walker would be interested in it? You know, like, because agreements and contracts don't come up and don't get it, don't get signed in a day. They don't, they don't get or, signed in Or minutes. in one minute. Yeah, they don't get signed <laughs> in minutes. Yeah. You know, it takes hours probably for you to sift through all the paperwork, all the all the fine print. So, at, I mean, like, the very least, and look, maybe those investigations are happening, but we certainly don't know about them. And I yeah, I mean, a in, way more public investigation about it. Yeah, I mean, in these meetings that they're discussing, it doesn't seem. It seems like what they're trying to do is just kind of change the way free agency is done, so that this stuff can happen, but it's not illegal. Which to me is just like, well, then that means you really don't care about tampering. You're just making it's just lip service. You're just saying, oh, we can't stop this, so let's just fi- fix free agency that so that this doesn't become an issue anymore. That doesn't help the problem or change the problem at all. So I don't, I don't, Look, I don't get it. What, what should happen? Oh, I think one of the, and this isn't going to help that much, but I think it helps a little bit. Is I think free agency should happen after the draft, but well, not after the draft. Free agency should happen before the draft, after the season, and because then there's less time for people to tamper. Because like when you have free agency in July and the season's done, you know. Two weeks beforehand, sometimes three, four weeks beforehand. Like that's way too much time for teams to start wheeling and dealing, and you know these teams aren't just sitting on just aren't sitting on their behinds worrying about the draft this whole time. A lot of times, these teams are using the draft to facilitate what they're doing in free agency. Yeah, they're having those conversations with agents, know where these free agents' heads are, where they're going to be interested, what money because, they're looking like, at, of course. Because agents come in for draft workouts and, like, exactly. do you think when these guys, like, the Celtics, we talk, I talk about this Kemba Walker thing, like, the guy we were rumored to be very interested in during the draft was Tyler Hero. His agent, Jeff Schwartz, is the agent for Kemba Walker. Mm. You think anytime we worked out Tyler Hero or we had discussions about Tyler Hero with Jeff Schwartz that Kemba Walker's name wasn't mentioned? Because I know on draft night we made, like, five trades they created a cast base so that we can get Kevin Walker. Right. And like, how did we know that we, you wouldn't just trade Aaron Baines on the on the the hope that maybe Kevin Walker would be interested when we weren't discussed as a, as an option for Kevin Walker all season? Yeah, it seems like only uh, the Knicks do s- stuff like that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> trading right? cast base and stuff in the hope that something's gonna happen. <laughs> um. So so yeah, I mean, it's 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 look, you know, it's clear as day. Um. I think if you change free agency to be a before the draft. I mean, I, I believe that's how it is in the NFL. So it's not like nobody. That's how it is in the NFL. It's, and it's not like do, nobody. Are, are, is there any, there any tampering co- complaints in the NFL? No. Because NFL. Why? Why? Because tampering. Because tamp- structure. Yeah, because tampering. Because the because the free agent period happens after the Super Bowl. You had the combine, right after the Super Bowl. and then you have, you know, it's it's combine. Then like like you know, it's like a month. It's like a month after. Yeah. Free agency, uh, March first, new season starts. And 
while it's less time between the end of this NBA season and the uh, and the uh, what's the name and 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 free agency because so much happens in between free agency and the NBA se- NBA season ending that that that's why the tampering happens because you have the combine you have the draft. There's a lot of time. Yeah. For, there's a lot of places where tampering can happen. Right, exactly. Whereas a lot NFL, of conversations, the season kind of just dies, and then the new season starts, and then you have free agency and stuff. So it's not. It's just not the same. Um, there's no tampering in baseball, for the most part. I mean, there is, but it's not not to the level of the NBA. I would argue. I would argue that they're kind of blowing this out of proportion, which is why I asked the question the way I did. I, I don't think they need to do anything. I think that. This is just a way of life at this point in the NBA uh, period. I that's a good question. Yeah, that's I understand. A good, that's a good point. I understand people like some of the maybe the smaller town owners feel wary that they can't keep their talent. But look, man, you made an investment in a place that players aren't really excited to stay in. Like that's that's at some point. At some point, like we just kind of have to look at it that way too. And I do. Wanna, I'm not saying that you know we should just screw the fans that live in these small town markets. But I do think this like small violin playing for these owners who can't keep star players in small markets, fam. Nobody asks you to to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves. Nobody asks you to buy the Oklahoma City Thunder or move Seattle to Oklahoma City. Nobody asks you to do any of that stuff. You did that on your own. You made right. an investment in those places, feeling like you can do what it takes to keep those guys there. Now that you're unable to do that, you want the rules to be changed. It just sounds like. It sounds so one percent billionaire type behavior that I, I can't take it. Like I, I, I have no, I have no sympathy for these people at all. Do I have sympathy for the fans? Yeah, it's unfortunate and it's terrible that you could root for a team where it seems like is your wish, you're hoping against hope that these guys want to stay long term and invest long term, or that even if you get a guy like for example, maybe Russ Westbrook who would want to stay long term. You just can't get other guys around him to commit long term. They don't have; they're not wired the same way. Or you're not as lucky as some Portland fans that have had Damian Lillard for all of these years. It's unfortunate, but I think the the, the owners in, in, the, in who are who are potentially lining up to really try to ramp up these anti tampering rules. A lot of them being smaller market owners who feel like they could be the next one to be had. I'm like, yo, you made a bad investment without realizing that. Your spot isn't. It's like real estate. Like if you buy bad real estate in a bad area, and then you complain about the idea that you're not re- bringing in viable uh, buyers or viable tenants, you bought the real estate, fam. Like that's still that's on you. You can't go to the city or the locality here and be like, "Yo, you got to change the rules. This ain't fair." Like you saw the market and you bought that property. You got to make the best of it. And I'm tired. Yeah, at the end of the day, I'm tired of these small owners. Complaining and, and crying about this. This is. This, and, this, and, I've, I've and been hearing this since LeBron left Miami, and I'm tired of it. And on a deeper level, I mean, look, these owners are the same owners that the stuff's in the CBA. <laughs> you you know, signed like, a collective bargaining agreement. Just you know, like, like, just like we get on the players for complaining about stuff, we got to let the keep the owners feet to the fire about agreements they signed to. Like I, I look at the NFL and I'm like, why don't the why doesn't the NFL have the small market issue? I mean. Of course, there's some, it's a more revenue sharing league, from what I understand. But mm-hmm. beyond that, like you also have like the franchise tag. So like Patrick Mahomes, 
<laughs> isn't going to leave Kansas City. You know, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, I want to play in L.A. <laughs> yeah, I want to play in New York. Like, but guess what? They negotiated that and got that signed into they got in, that into a contract. Like, so, like if the NBA had a franchise tag, like some of these teams would be like would be set. <laughs> you know, OKC would have been a would have been a, a, a would have been a dynasty. But like you know, sometimes and also a lot of times it's just good management versus bad management. For sure, Sam Presti's a heck of a GM, and he built that team from scratch. Uh, Bob Myers is a heck of a GM. He built that team from scratch. Um, but for every Bob Myers, you have a Ryan McDonough. Exactly. And, 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 I, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to just slam on him. Sometimes He's only, you got because there's pl- plenty of bad other GMs in small markets too. David Kahn, yeah, exactly. we could run the list of them. He's just you perfect skin to mind. Rich and, Cho, yeah, and and you know, those guys, I like like. It wasn't because they were in a small market that they had issues. They had a right. Like nobody told Ryan Dunn to draft Josh Jackson. <laughs> nobody Jamie told Grant. him to do that. Nobody told him to draft Dragon Bender. Like that's on him. Right. That's that's on Robert Sarver for having that guy in position to make those kind of moves. I'm not crying for Robert Sarver that he can't get players. I'm not. Um, let's do flames and trash real quick, Kendall. So uh, I'm gonna start first. I'm gonna go with uh my my flames here. I'm gonna go with Tony Bennett. I'm gonna go with the, the head coach of uh, the national championship uh, winning uh, Wahoos over there, uh, the Virginia Cavaliers. I'm going with Tony Bennett because I did. I thought he did something that was uh, pretty. I don't want to say remarkable. I don't want to put. I don't want to use hyperbole, but I thought it was cool uh, when you know for a guy like Tony Bennett, coaching at Virginia. Of course, it's a big school, but they're not the kind of school that's gonna be spending crazy crazy amount amount of money on coaches and things like that so when you win a national championship you expect a guy like tony bennett to to demand a massive raise and for that school to be under pressure to give him that raise or be under the basically on the clock it's like okay if you don't pay him the way uh elite level coach who won a championship get, get paid that guy is gonna leave as soon as kentucky or duke or someone knocks on the door so virginia credit to them Went to him and said, hey, man, here's that bag of cash you earned from winning that national championship for us. And Bennett turned it down. Tony Bennett turned it down because he looked at uh, the situation he has at his program. He said that that money would be better served going to his staff, paying for improvements for the program. And not just his program, but other programs at Virginia. And I got to say, man, that's a guy who gets it. Tony Bennett understanding that he could just line his own pockets like all these other college coaches do now, the guy's a millionaire. I'm not gonna act like he's like you know he's only he's playing he's coaching on minimum wage. He is you know doing <laughs> fine, but we 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 talk about all these stories about these coaches just jumping to the biggest dollar and and having no loyalty to any signing place. the signing the ten million dollar extension. Yeah, and they have no loyalty to any place. No matter what extension they sign, they'll still jump ship whenever the the highest dollar comes from another school. Here's a guy showing some integrity. And understanding that uh, in order for players to invest in him and invest in his program, he's got to invest in the program and in his players. And while, unfortunately, with the situation we have in college basketball, you can't actually invest in them in money. But what you can... Over the table. Right. <laughs> legally, yeah. legally. But what you can invest in is how your program is run. You can invest in how uh, the other programs on your school are run. And that absolutely affects recruiting. 
if you know the athletic department is a department. It's not just the basketball team or the football team. Improving the whole athletic department improves everything. I talk about it all the time with you and me and you uh, in terms of when Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan were at Florida. Uh, while even though at the end there were issues with the teams hating each other in the beginning, they did a, a, a masterful job of cross recruiting and using each one's each one's program to bring in talent, especially Billy Donovan using Urban Meyer's football program to bring in players to play basketball. So Don, Bennett, you know, not looking to just get the most money he can, oh, looking past that and realizing what really mattered and how he can get to, he can have sustained success at Virginia, realizing, no, I need a strong staff that's going to be able to stay here and not want to just jump to whatever mid-major head coaching job that they may get now that I won national championship. They need to get more money so that they can continue out, go out there, recruit, and continue to, to build this program. I need to invest money into this program so that we can continue to compete with the Dukes and North Carolinas of the world. And yes, I'm going to take not a pay cut, but just, I'm going to stay at this modest salary for head coaches in college football, college basketball, because it's going to be for the betterment of the program. I I can't do anything but applaud Bennett for that. So that's why he slams for me. Yeah, heads of the story right there. Um, Tony Bennett, one of them, I think he is, I mean, I thought before the national championship, he was a top three or four coach in college basketball. And, you know, for me, I think he's, he's still top three or four. You know, people call him a choke artist after the last year. And he said, you, you know, UVA should have fired him if they would have lost this year. And I'm like, all right, find a better coach than Tony Bennett. And, you know, gladly they won the national championship. Obviously, it took some luck, but. Yeah, Bennett's, well, Bennett's he, elite. I mean, there's there's no question. I mean, you can't name you can't name right you now. can't name. I don't know if you can name three coaches better than Tony Bennett today. Yeah, I couldn't. So yeah. I mean, it, so yeah, I think the guy who who he lost to Chris Beard is another guy who's yeah he, he hasn't proven it long on terms of you know in other spots and uh, for a long period of time, but he looks like he's another guy that's going to be in that class very soon for sure. But um. Yeah, I'll start with trash this week. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm gonna start with uh, my guy uh, Pat Narduzzi, uh head coach of the Pitt Panthers. Uh, you know, the, it, was a, it was a tough week for Pitt. You know, we played our uh, our, our rival Penn State uh, for the 100th time and for the last time for the foreseeable future, since there are no more games left on the schedule against Penn State. And both teams have pretty much full schedules up until, like, 2025, 2026. So it's going to be a while before we see them back on the schedule, if ever. Uh, so this is the last meeting. Um, Penn State obviously won the game, if you hadn't heard. But it wasn't I'm – not, I'm not giving Pat Narduzzi trash for losing the game. You know, it happens. Uh, but I'll give him trash for the fashion in which Pitt lost the game. You know, we, it's the fourth quarter on the road in Happy Valley – uh, and you're down 17-10, fourth and one on the one-yard line, fourth and goal on the one-yard line. Really, well, first, let's we'll start with first and goal on the one-yard line. You get three plays, you get stopped, no yards. So Pat Narduzzi, instead of going for it on fourth down, uh, when you're down seven points with five minutes to go and you only have one timeout left, he decides he's going to kick the field goal. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, of course, because karma uh, does it to people, uh, Pitt misses the field goal, and we end up coming. We end up 
luckily getting a stop on defense, getting the ball back, and goes down to a hail mary, and we 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 lose the game. But the the the, the foolish decision by Pat Narduzzi to not go for it on fourth down. Again, I'm not mad we lost the game because Pat Narduzzi goes for it and we don't get it. He's not trash this week. Like, it's unfortunate, but I'm not blaming the coach. And I don't know if it's a guarantee. I mean, our running game is, has been terrible all year. It was terrible in that game. So I, don't, it may, I'm, I mean, I don't feel great about the, our, our chances of getting that one yard, but I feel much better about our chances of getting that one yard than I do of us kicking a field goal getting a stop on defense, and then going on the field to score. Going touchdown. down the field to score again. Pat Norduzzi, after the game, doubled down on the decision, said he had no regrets, that he'd do it again. Because by his, by his logic, he said that you needed two scores to win in that situation. No, you didn't. All you needed was one score and a two-point <laughs> conversion, if that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Um, and he said, he said in his press conference later in the week, he was like preparing for UCF, which should be fun for Pitt next week. Um, he said, "Well, yeah, you know, if you look at what I did, I mean, my plan worked up until the fact that we missed the field goal because we ended up getting the stop on defense anyway." And I'm like, "I mean, no, it didn't because we didn't score. Like, we <laughs> right. still would have lost the game. It still would have came down to a hail mary, and we still would have lost." Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> if you get the field goal, the field goal doesn't help you in almost any way. Yeah, it's, it's it's completely foolish. As I as I told you the weekend it happened, I said essentially Narduzzi's logic is I'd rather I'd 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 much rather go the full length of the field to try to score a touchdown with less time against Penn State than with more time against Penn State with one play at the one yard line. Yes. And that's what he decided. He decided that I'd much rather Hope that my defense gets a stop and then go the length of the field against Penn State's defense, still needing a touchdown. Because remember, if they kick the field goal and they make the field goal, they still are, is a four point game. Another field goal doesn't even tie the game. It they can't even get the tie. overtime. They need a it's touchdown a, regardless. So he decided was, that I, I'd rather try to score a touchdown from my own 30 with less time than my own one with more time on the clock. If it was a six point game, I would understand. I would too. I, I'd be like, look, it's a scary decision. But, and I wouldn't have made it, but I could see his logic. This, I, this yeah, doesn't make any I sense. I understand the coach conservative play there. This, like you said, makes zero sense. It doesn't nope. help you at all. And in, and in reality, his his logic is, look, I'm trusting my defense. I'm a defensive coach. I'm trusting that the defense can get a stop. Honestly, The defense has nothing to do faith. with this, first of yeah, all. You probably have more faith in your defense if you went for it. Like, Doug yeah. Peterson has always had a philosophy – in Philadelphia of go for it, not because he loves his play calls, because he always has had faith in their defense. A lot of coaches have had that philosophy of, yeah, we're going to go for it, but not because not, not because we're, we're, we have such a high conversion rate. It's because, look, if we don't get it, we, we trust that our defense can get a stop and get us the ball back. So if Narduzzi feels that great about um, his defense – then you go for it. We don't get the one yard. They're on the one yard line. And good luck trying to get back to your side of the field with my great defense. But this guy, is a, he's a clown. <laughs> I mean, good, good luck. Good luck keeping your job, man. When you lose a game on that embarrassing of a fashion on national TV against a ranked opponent, against your arch rival, 
um, for the last time. So uh, there are a lot of pit boosters that saw that game, obviously, and were equally dumbfounded as I was. So, look, shout, shout out Pat Narduzzi, man. I, I don't think he's a bad coach, but I think he has gotten to a point where now I think he, he the stress level now has him over coaching. Yeah, he's over his head. I think I think he's that trying too hard. I think that you know he's had some decent moments at Pitt, but the way I've seen it from a distance, it, to me, he just looks like a guy that's in over his head. Um, I think he's a really good defensive coordinator, a good man. Uh, I think he represents the program well outside of these kind of weird, ridiculous comments he has in the media about his coaching style sometimes. But uh, he's just in over his head. That was just inept coaching, and. And the fact that he can't see, either he can't see what he did wrong or he knows what he did wrong and he's still just lying to everybody. Either way, he ain't good. So um, it's 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 dark times at Pitt for, for having that kind of loss. A game that they, they absolutely could have won against a rival that if you don't you really, if you don't know the region, I mean, Penn State, that's a blood rivalry. A lot of people of our generation can, don't know it. We, you know, we fortunately, yeah, have, nah. we have a mom who went to Penn State so, who under who in the thick of that rivalry? So she understands it, and we understand it. People who live in that area understand it. A lot of people who don't live in that area or are younger won't get it. But losing to Penn State in that ridiculous situation—I mean, it just—it's just a knife to the heart of Pittsburgh football. I don't think he's going to survive it. I'll be honest. I don't think so either. That I mean, that's—I'd be, I'd be surprised. You just can't lose to Penn State like that. That's not a loss that people forget. No. Like, there are some losses, yeah, yeah, we lost, but we lost Penn State in the past, and we forgot about it. You know, I'm sure Miami has lost games where, you know, <laughs> you're you're frustrated in the moment, but you forget about it. But then there are some games like when Al Golden lost to Clemson. You just yep. don't forget. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, staying uh, with college football, my f- trash this week is uh, Los Angeles college football. Um, now, obviously, yeah, we do this show Thursday night. USC plays Friday night against uh, number 10, Utah at home. It is a massive game for USC. Reggie Bush will be in attendance. The president is going to be in attendance. They, let, they letting them back? They, they, <laughs> they let, letting them in, the let in the building? Yo, the president, the pre- El Presidente is back in the building, man. Well, he's Good working for them. Oh. So they said, yeah, he can come in in a work capacity. Oh man, you got to be excited. <laughs> I thought that they were finally going to give uh they're going to give El Presidente his nah, flowers. You know, the NCAA ain't going to let that. Happen. <laughs> Dag, man. Yo, it's sad how like yo, Reggie Bush was a is a college football icon. And Absolutely. they just ain't never going to give him his flowers. <laughs> he said he <laughs> it's said crazy to me. He was like, yeah, you know, he said it's messed up cuz like, you know, I know a lot of the guys that have been going there recently they come to me and they say, "Yeah, we, we a lot of reasons we're going there is because of what you did." And, and they like, won't even let him in the building crazy. unless he's got a Fox Sports media pass on. It's crazy. <laughs> exactly. They it's, can't even recognize. Like, and I guess the only other example of this is probably Chris Webber with Michigan for all those years. But like, right, right. I guess to me, like Chris Webber never won a championship. Now I know he went to two national championship games. But like Reggie Bush won like a champ, won two championships, and, <laughs> and, and a Heisman Trophy, and what may have been the greatest Heisman Trophy season we've had. Definitely the greatest Heisman, definitely the maybe the greatest Heisman Trophy race we've had. Yeah, and like I said, if he don't got a Fox Media pass, they ain't letting him in the building. Nope, it's crazy. But I, I got to talk about LA football and college football because 
it's it's a disaster. Um, USC, after what was a, a really uh, impressive win for a lot of people after they beat Stanford, laid an egg. Without JT Daniels. Yes, without JT Daniels, laid an egg going to BYU on the road, a BYU team that doesn't really look that strong this year. And they lost to them on the road. Lin Swan resigned, so they don't have an AD. Uh, going to the other side of L.A., UCLA is 0-3. They have losses to Cincinnati and San Diego State. Then they got just blasted by Oklahoma uh, at home in the Rose Bowl. They also don't have an AD. Dan Guerrero retired today. So we have... Really? Yes, 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 you probably didn't know. This happened not that long ago. Uh, so you have two of the college, the biggest colleges in Los Angeles in terms of athletics. Their football programs are a mess. They don't have any athletic directors. And they have two head coaches in Clay Helton and Chip Kelly, who I just, they don't seem to have a clue. I don't, I don't know anybody who's a UCLA football fan or a USC football fan that could have any confidence in any of these two men. But there's no leadership in the athletic department. So the, the, the future seems so bleak. For two programs that have had such greatness, and just to me, just should be—I don't say easy places to win, but like, I don't understand how UCLA continue to struggle this badly, even under Chip Kelly. There's, I don't. There's, there's no, no excuse for USC to be what they've been in the last two years under Clay Helton. There's no reason for both those programs to be bad. No, like, they, like I understand one of them could be bad if the other one's good and they're getting all the players. Really, I mean, the Pac-12 has improved this year, but Pac-12 as a whole has been down. But there's no reason for both those schools to be bad. Because L.A. and Southern California, really the state of California's football is too strong for neither one of them to be able to field top 25 programs. It's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, and you don't get the impression that either school has a vision. I mean, the UCLA had the fiasco with Cliff Kingsbury this past season where they hired him as offensive coordinator without the the wherewithal to see that he may end up being in a position to get a head coaching job. They got they should have fired the coach they had so that Clemsbury could have been their head coach. Then they lost the guy that was the only reason that recruits and anybody was excited about going to USC after the clown show they've seen from that program and Clay Helton leading it uh, last season. They're stuck with Helton, no Cliff Kingsbury, and and now no AD with Lin Swan saying, peace, I'm out. UCLA, uh, Dan Guerrero hired Chip Kelly. And McCronin, which is basketball related. But. Yeah, and, 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 and he's now out the door. Chip Kelly is new. I mean, it's, it, it, it's been, it feels like it's been a long time because of how just wretched last season was and the, and the start of this season. But this is not like a guy who's been there for four years and they could just move on from it. And like... He is trying to establish something, and the guy who put him in place retired. UCLA and USC football, man, it's bad. It's not. It's not in good shape. So they're trash. I don't know where the what the future lies for either program, but um, if but it's gonna. It looks like it could be quite quite dark. If I ask you, who's most likely to be the coach of USC this time next year? Between Clay Helton, James Franklin, and Urban Meyer, who would you say? Franklin. Franklin. 
I, I just I, admire, man. Really? Sad. I, I just don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> look, man, if there's any school who will sell his soul to win football games, it's USC. Yeah. But I don't. that just seems like a bridge too far. I don't want to say Urban Meyer is like Rick Pitino, but he ain't that far off from me. See, <laughs> like, like, to me, I it's like, man, if you're hiring Urban Meyer, it's like, it's like we but know what we know what the deal is. Like y'all ain't even hiding it. And I get it. Clay Helton is not been the answer. So I can understand the idea that you gotta go big and bold in your next hire. But Urban Meyer is just like I mean, he I don't think he's shown an ability to to have control of his programs in what happens on off the field. And when the going gets tough with Urban, he just bounces. Now he'll you'll win. You're gonna win with him. But it's it to me it's almost like selling your soul because it's it's just it's just it's short lived. It's gonna be three years probably and it'll look great in those three years and then after that I who knows how he's gonna leave your program. Ohio State seems to be have picked up the piece as well. Florida did not. Florida is still trying to recover from him just bouncing the way he did. Like I, I That'd be crazy to me if after all, oh, how it ended with Urban Meyer in Ohio State, him lying, him allowing, you know, serial abusers to be on his coaching staff. If somehow he ends up at USC, wow. Now speaking of uh, speaking of wild coaches, um, you hear about Art Bryles and his controversy down at high school football. There's more Art Bryles controversy. What is he doing? Yeah, now? so so Art. <laughs> People were like, man, Art Bryles already cheating, you know, <laughs> in high school football. I see here but, Art Bryles being accused of cheating. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, all right. Basically, basically there's some... Uh, all right, the sun, the sun came up today, too. What? I'm like, and the sun came up today. Art yeah, Bryles yeah, cheating yeah. and the sun came up. <laughs> nice. Okay. Exactly. Apparently, well, his high school, Mount Vernon High School out down in Texas has been, like, dominant, like, the three and zero, they've they've won each game by like a combined like a hundred points, but um, there's already been eligibility meetings about like five of his players that transferred in. Mm. Like, should these guys even be eligible to play? He just he's just so, getting them a uniform. <laughs> he's like, yo, go out. Yeah, there. Exactly. Go out there. <laughs> yo, that's I gotta well, admit, that's made kinda, to tell you you can't play. I shouldn't laugh. That's almost kind of funny. Like. Our brothers, he don't care. He's he's like, yo, man, I'm just trying to rack yeah, up these like, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a, t- I'm a taking time bomb. Yeah, I'm just trying to get as much as I can out of this place for until someone gives me a chance. Just give the kid a jersey, put him out there. What's the worst they can do? He don't care about the rules. That's crazy. And I'm and it's funny because like I feel like high schools are so weird because like the the rules that like. It's so it's such a wild wild west, and I can imagine being in Texas, no pun intended. Like it's like even more so in terms of like eligibility rules and who can play who. Not like it's like no one really knows for sure. There isn't like a real governing body that like is very out in the forefront now in Texas. I'm sure there is, but just even me playing college high school basketball, like the eligibility rules and who could play, who could not, who who didn't play, and uh, how people would know if a guy was ineligible, all seemed very like hard to understand. So, like, it's fun. That's why I laugh. Because, like, yeah, like, he absolutely could just get away with giving a kid a jersey who isn't eligible. Like, who would stop him? Like, like, yes. it would, like the guy, you wouldn't, like, in college football or in the NBA or in the NFL, like, you see the guy in warmers and be like, yo, 
get off the layup line. <laughs> like yeah, in, in yeah. high school football, the guy just goes up there and throws for six touchdowns. Like there's nothing, like no one's gonna know until like afterwards or weeks afterwards or someone will raise a complaint. Then like wait a minute, that guy shouldn't have been playing. And then now it's like a retroactive problem. But Art Brown knew all that. <laughs> Our brothers knew all of that, which is why he told the kid, hey, put some pads on and go hit somebody. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just crazy to me, but it's funny. It's just sad. I'm also thinking about the fact that, like, our brow took his job and, like, he's recruiting these guys. Like, we knew he would probably, but, like, it's just, like, I, I, I part of me hoped that, like, he would take, like, the route of, like, yeah, I'm just going to coach, like. Like Jim, like Jim Calhoun. Yeah, like Jim Calhoun. I'm going to coach a lesser team. And yeah, if you don't know. We lose, we lose. Yeah, if you don't guys don't know, Jim Calhoun is coaching Division Three, I believe, right, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joseph's. Yeah, and it's really it's really neat. They've ESPN has done a couple cool stories. And yeah, just, did Larry Brown coach, like, in Long Island? Like, Yes, I think he coached high school. I don't think school. Larry Brown. He wasn't coaching, like, like McDonald's All-American. Yeah, and it's, and it's, like, really, it's cool. Yeah, it's, uh, you could tell for them it's, like, just the love of coaching. Like, they want to be in a gym. In helping guys get better. Our brows like, no, nah, I want to win each game by sixty. Yeah, yeah, I want. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to, to dominate. No, no, no. Athletic director is looking at these games like, oh yeah, I forgot how good a coach our brows is because <laughs> he outcoached Bo Bo Fingenbacher down in Houston, Texas. But I think when for our brows for the, the 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 coaching lifestyle he's been living, he only knows zero to hundred. He yeah, only he only, knows, he only you know. knows this. He only knows, you know, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten, and do whatever it takes to win no matter what. He only knows this. So even when he's coaching high school football, that's how he's going to run his program. I think with Calhoun and Brown, like they have the luxury, while, yes, those guys have coached college basketball in high-pressure situations, they're a lot older, and they came from – they they're a lot they're a lot older and therefore they're they, in some ways I think they're able to better remove themselves from that that grind and they perhaps they don't really even love that grind anymore. They right, like exactly. the coaching. Our brows, Our brows doesn't got, can't he, decipher he, got, he can't decipher he the clipped. grind from the coaching. Yeah, he got clipped at the prime of his career. Exactly. Like right when he got to the top, like Calhoun seen the top for a long time. So yeah. like Brown. Like Brown's coaching the NBA Finals, won in championships. Coaching At the Olympics. Point, they don't they don't care about winning championships. Right. You know, if they exactly. could, they could do it, but if if they don't they don't need to. They're already Hall of Famers. Our Bryles hasn't gotten to that point. He still he still he, thinks he's at Baylor. He so. still has that itch to dominate at the highest level. And right. this is how he did it at Baylor, so he's gonna do it at this high school. Um so is that? Do you have another trash? Or was that your trash? That wasn't my trash. My other trash was the the Vikings and Kirk Cousins in particular. Mm. At a rough, <laughs> rough second game. I think it's time that the Vikings realize that he's not the guy. It was a mistake. And honestly, you know, we may just need a, a change of of uh, uh, the entire organization. Honestly, you know, I, I really like Rick Spielman, and you know, I mean, Mike Zimmer. Is a great coach, so I wouldn't necessarily move out of him. And I, I don't, we don't have to move on from Spielman, but Spielman just has to really own up to the mistake that was signing Kirk Cousins, because and the mistake that was drafting Laquan Treadwell, who ends up cutting after three, four years. Um, just countless, countless number of mistakes that the team should be better than what they are now. And we need a new quarterback, but I won't go on any longer because we talked about our brows already. Double, triple trash. <laughs> Um, no, no, no positivity for Kendall this week. All, all trash. Uh, no, is it, there's no Kendall court this week, or, or, or uh, are, are, we, are we out of here? Did you have trash or? 
Um, did I not say my trash? No, I did UCLA and and USC. Yes, UCLA. Yeah, Kendall's court. I mean, if we want to go quadruple trash, <laughs> you know, Team USA <laughs> lost uh, or didn't even get a medal. Would they finish sixth se- or something like that? Seventh. Seventh, I think. Yeah, I believe they finished seventh. Worst, worst, uh, worst performance in a team that had NBA players. Yeah, I mean, I am still very surprised. You know, I thought this team, people would, would joke, like, this team's not going to medal. I'm like, I don't see how they don't. You know, it, honestly, I mean, I think they got a bad draw. You know, they played uh, a tough France team not in the in a medal game. So, um, like, and I think if they played Argentina, they would have beaten them. Argentina ends up beating France. You know, Luis Gola looking like... Uh, Dude, shout, out like to, shout out to Luis Cola, Scola, man. I love that as a hooper. I kind of, I was kind of hoping NBA it. teams would reach out to him. They, they probably did on some level. They might, yeah. They, I'm sure they did. Yeah, he's this he's, guy's. 30, he's, he was 40 years old and he was out there hooping and playing yeah. well. He's about to sign. Reportedly, about to sign Real Madrid. So good for him. Man. There, there are people watching. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but yeah, I, I love seeing. I was kind of hope they. I was hoping they would win it at that point. Uh, but also shout out to Spain, Marcus All, Ricky Rubio. For winning one, and I, look, I like, I, of course, there is that same, you know, just like with the Raptors, all oh, they ain't faced Team USA, so like, you know, the asterisk on Spain championship. But look, you win a world, you win a World Cup championship, it's insane. USA is like they didn't, it's like they weren't in the tournament, they got clipped, and Spain went and beat the team that beat Team USA. So credit to them, but no, nah, I think USA basketball. I wouldn't panic. You know, some people are panicking. I think the, the tournaments are going to get harder. I, like, I think this would have been difficult even if we had the dream team or whatever version of the dream team that we ha- that we would have had this year, as I should say. Um, but I also think that if we had our normal guys, we would have won this fairly easily. Like, if we had Durant oh, yeah. or Kyrie, we had Steph Curry, if we had Dame Lillard, we would have won this fairly easily so yeah I'm panicked look I think I think we're in a position where uh, we can't send C team thinking we're gonna win not C teams that have barely had any time to really practice because their whole they're all new because guys could drop them out circumstances right. led to this disaster a bunch of guys with no experience in, with USA basketball yeah it just it, it was a it was a including it was a, the coaching staff yeah it was a recipe for disaster and that's what happened uh, it's not necessarily a reason to overreact. I am going to surprise people. I I have no problem with Brian with uh with Jerry Colangelo being like, yeah, we're going to remember those guys who quit on us. Zero problem with it. Okay. I know some people are looking at it and say, oh, how do you say that? These guys are giving up their summers and giving up their their stuff to play for free, playing for Team USA. I I understand that perspective, but call me old fashioned. You are representing your country, and for guys to commit to doing that, knowing what the sacrifice it takes and what it takes to do that, to just pull out the very last second for just nonsense reasons. I'm sorry. I know we can talk about, oh, a guy thinks I can win a championship or whatever. I don't want to get hurt, or I want to be healthy for when I go for the Olympics next yeah, year. Yeah, we got the playoff. We got, I'm getting ready for the playoffs. I'm like... Yo, bro, you can't be talking about the playoffs in in September. September, it's just like it's just CJ McCollum. Like, yeah, I'm getting ready for the playoff push. It's September. It's and August. My, and my thing is, you de- you de- you didn't have to commit. That's my thing. 
is that it right, takes right. a level of commitment to do this. And if you're gonna if you're gonna show this early on that you don't have that commitment that at the at the sight of just the warriors breaking up, your commitment falls completely apart. Or the idea that now you look at the numbers in terms of how many minutes you're going to be playing from now until next summer with the Olympics, you say, well, now I can't do it. Or you look yes. at the calendar or you look at the calendar and say, yeah, this, this is this is running too deep into September. It's too yeah. close to the out. It's if like you, if, you, if you decide all this, if you decide all this now, I'm sorry. When I think about my Olympic team, yes, I'm going to remember that. That, yeah. that tells me that your level of commitment and focus is not where it should be and now he didn't say that you you ain't had no chance to make the team or anything like that he just said we're gonna think about that that just makes them it's common sense i want guys who are going to be committed the guys who who says who who toughed it out who understood that there was going to be a a commitment issue with these other guys and still played kemma walker and and donovan mitchell who was tremendous during this during this uh during this tournament yes i'm gonna remember that too i remember the guys who ironed their commitment and played hard and Work through these very difficult circumstances. And, you know what? and the guys who so quit many. on us, yes, I'm going to remember that too. That's just basic team building. And the fact Crazy. that Colangelo was getting a lot of crap about it, I thought was ridiculous, especially considering what uh, Colangelo has done to build up USA basketball after the mess it was in uh, prior to when he came into into, into the fold. I, I really was disappointed. In credit so credit to even, it. I won't say credit, but like. Like, uh, like I look at people like Devin Booker who never committed. To exactly. People, people no, got no beef saying, with that. Why aren't you committing? And that that's a whole other conversation. Maybe you should have committed to it, but at least he didn't pull out. He was like he looked at whatever he looked at the calendar, the the Suns playoff push, whatever he wanted, and never once said he was playing. Team. Or was playing for team. Or he just didn't want to do it. Like I, yeah. that's okay. This I, summer, I, think, he's like, I, feel, I don't feel like doing it. But if he wants to try out next summer, at least he could. He, I'll know if he wants to go in that he'll have a different commitment level. Right. But the guys who committed this summer, who then say, "Well, no, I'm actually going to be committed next summer," after what they pulled this year, I'm gonna have second thoughts. I'm not gonna have second thoughts about Devin Booker. He didn't give me a commitment this year. If he kisses me next year, I'll feel okay. Well, he's clearly in a different mindset than he was last year. The guy gives me the same commitment he gave me 12 months ago. Why am I supposed to expect it? it's going to be any different just because it's the Olympics? And why, And even if he plays, if we know he's that scared about getting hurt or that scared about minutes, who's to say that he won't play as hard? Who's to say he won't give all it takes? Who's to say he's going to die for that loose ball? There's a lot that goes into it beyond just even you showing up in regards to commitment. That's why I keep using that word because it's so important. And when you guys, you have guys renege from their, uh, from their commitments to the team, they deserve whatever they get in regards to whether or not they make the Olympic team. Sorry, it is an honor. And I think these guys, uh, they made their choices. They made their bed. They have to lie in it if that means that they don't make the team next year. So it is what it is. I have no issue with it. With that uh, being the end note there, we're going to wrap today's show uh, right there. So thank you guys so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. You can catch all of our uh, other shows like Hero Talk and Imperial Broadcast on New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, make sure you catch up, check out our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. I'm working on some uh, videos that should be up, uh, if not this weekend, the beginning of next week. So keep your eyes out on that. Um, uh, also-
Also, make sure you check out our uh, our Facebook, new, uh, Facebook New Generation Media, our Twitter at New Generation Pod, and our Instagram account New Generation Podcast. Follow me on social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, and on Instagram, Action EJ. I want to thank Kendall for joining me as always. I want to thank you guys for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy. Peace.